Welcome, everyone, to the Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me now is the Costello to my Abbott, the Harpo to my Groucho, the Old Lace to my Arsenic. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. The struggle is real. The Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek for the season one finale, Matt. More about that in a second. Uh, episode 110, Hostile, is sponsored by Undercover Consignment Store, because nothing says inconspicuous like a green wig. Pete, um, I'm bummed out doing this last episode here, the prospect of there being no more runaways. Can you can you give me some news to cheer me up? Because I don't want to say goodbye to these kids. Well, I mean, listen, that could have been the end, Matt, when they all ran away because it's what they do at the end of the episode. But just off the wire yesterday is the renewal of Runaways by Hulu for season two. No timeline as of yet, but it's coming. The Marvel TV streak continues. Uh, No show has yet to be canceled. However, uh, the tea leaves being that, uh, Pete, we're going to be doing the Inhumans series wrap-up podcast some point later this winter, um, perhaps even into the spring when word is completely official. But while on the one hand it's not super shocking to hear that Runaways has been uh, renewed, <laughs> it's better to get that renewal and be be relaxed, feel safe than it is to wonder. And here we are, Pete, looking at 10-plus more episodes. Who knows? We'll have to see. All this comes as we have resumed podcasting Star Trek Discovery on Sundays. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. continues on Fridays. We say goodbye to uh, Runaways for now. We'll be bringing you a season wrap uh, shortly hereafter. But uh, we'll be back just like our Runaways for season two. Well, Pete, take us into our Runaways rundown. Just when Catherine Wilder notes that all the kids have a little extra, Gert's dinosaur disobeys her to join the fray. But the Yorkses have been meaning to bring the rest of Pride up to speed on that. Dale hits it with a tranquilizer dart. Chase fires the fistigons, which Tina blocks. Carolina flashes her powers as Molly prepares to throw a barrel before she's hit by a burst of white light from Jonah. As Darius peers through the fence, Jonah fires a blast at the kids who keep coming back for more. Carolina, convinced Jonah is there for her, sends the rest of the group away. Nico begs her not to before Jonah hits Carolina with a blast and their light opens a circle which has an electromagnetic pulse effect and fries everything. Nico goes back to check on Carolina, but finds their parents are coming and returns to warn the others. The next morning, they wander L.A., hungry, with the dinosaur hiding in a shopping cart. They move up the mountain towards the Griffiths Observatory. Pride regroups, and Janet Stein asks if the Yorkses knew about Molly's strength and posits Jonah could be her father. Stacy thinks something must have happened in the explosion to give her powers. Tina admits that it was Leslie who blew up the lab. The Yorkses decide 
to use the Hernandez's equipment to probe what's really in the hole. Catherine wants to question Carolina to find out what the kids know. As Carolina recovers with Jonah's face mask, Leslie calls Frank out for going to Jonah. She also tells him Jonah is the one, but Frank still insists he's Carolina's father because he raised her. Jonah says her healing is coming along nicely and dismisses Carolina's parents. At a thrift shop, the kids get stuff to hide their appearances, and Chase tells Nico he likes skirt. Alex returns from Hollywood Boulevard, where he saw men urinating, stopped a fight between shoeless meth heads over an empty cottage cheese container, and got a map of the church from an alcoholic Elmo. Gert got an $8 Whole Foods chicken for the dinosaur. Alex is adamant it's time to say goodbye to her dinosaur, who she names Old Lace before sending her off. At Timely Coffee, Yawn, I mean Vaughn, gets his Joe, which Nico swipes. The kids want his help and confront him on the runaways who go missing the same time every year. They also tell him Jonah is in control of the church now. Jonah takes the mask off Carolina, who wants to know where her friends are. He also admits he's her father. Molly and Chase board a Gaborum bus. Leslie catches the Yorks's probing the hole, which has something alive in it, which is news to her too. As Molly and Chase fill out church paperwork, Vaughn asks them to come with her. Church ladies Aura and Francis ask why he's all the way down there, but he tells them the two are very special and Leslie will want to meet them. Alex goes to find a ride while Nico comforts an anxious Gert without her emotional support dinosaur. They wonder what's life going to be like now, and Nico tells Gert what Chase told her. The Wilders demand to question Carolina, but Jonah rebuffs them with a quartet of khaki-clad toughs and preaches trust. The Wilders are done with Jonah, and Alex overhears their concern about him. Vaughn brings Chase and Molly to Leslie's private meditation suite, which he doesn't have the key to, but Molly rips the door off. Aura and Francis find them and call security, who later walks right past them. Chase checks for more with his x-ray goggles and sees Jonah's light. Alex makes a Star Wars reference that is improperly subtitled before scooping up the group. Vaughn reports to Leslie that Carolina and her friends got away. Leslie affirms she is in charge. Jonah gets a text from an unknown sender that reads, Mission accomplished. Let me know what's next. The kids return to their campsite. Nico kisses Carolina before noticing Alex left to use one of the last payphones in Los Angeles. The Yorkses wonder how a life form as large as they're detecting beneath the city has gone undetected for so long. They think the serum is somehow connected. Darius comes to see Alex, who makes a request. The Yorkses host the Minorus, Janet, and Leslie, who is unsure where Frank's loyalties lie. They're going to fight back and kill Jonah. Leslie admits she killed the Hernandezes as well as being complicit in Jonah's murder of Amy. It was Leslie who warned Amy by text. 
In a mysterious location shrouded by blue light, Jonah meets with Frank, who says he'll do anything for Carolina's safety. Jonah says Frank's future will be very bright, and once Victor gets back on his feet, things will get interesting. Also interesting is how Jonah's skin is aging above his wrist. The kids cuddle in the van before Alex returns and talks to Nico about his call. His bankroll is now on swole, as the kids say. Jeffrey Wilder prepares to make a call that will get the kids to safety before they go to war. At the bus depot, the kids debate where to go. Gert finds old lace in a dumpster. A TV report announces an Amber Alert for a missing Molly fallen in with five persons of interest in the homicide of Destiny Gonzalez. Seemingly framed, they can't take a bus out of town, so the runaways run away down an alley over a newspaper article headlined, Earthquake Watch is L.A. Next. Pete, before we dive on into our analysis, I want to give a big episode 10 thanks to our patrons on patreon.com slash fantastic geek for keeping us afloat this entire season. Absolutely. Uh, the, the bill came due in December. We were able to pay it off and we are constantly looking to give back on top of this thing that we do to all of our listeners and fans. So everybody who uh, contributes to patreon.com forward slash fantastic geek gets exclusive podcast content. And then there's all sorts of perks from there. We'll even hear you out on any suggested perks. So check it out and thank you again. We are so proud to be listened, not just across the country, but indeed, Pete, across the world. Here we are working out in New Jersey. So whether it's from the East Coast to the OC or from North to South to East to West, it, uh, it's made possible by those patrons. Pete, let's not delay any further. Let's talk some baddies in this episode. We must, simply must, start with the newly molting Jonah. Yeah, molting there at the end, taxed early on in the episode, connection, we'll talk that next segment. Uh, he glows white and, and sparkly. His daughter glows pink and sparkly. Uh, is, is it, you know, what you would not think, the, the white light, is he bad? Carolina is, is good? I don't know. Uh, but that showdown there, as far as effects, clearly the the most advanced past the dinosaur that we've seen all season. Oh, it was really, really well done. And, you know, they say any element of TV or film that makes you think about the element isn't doing its job. I think there's a slight asterisk for special effects. You know that these people are not actually glowing. So to take a moment as... <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Pete. They they did scour the globe for for actors who could actually do this for real. I understand there was a there was a, a contractual dispute, uh, so they had to go for special effects. But as I was watching it, I was saying, this looks like they it looks like when the effect starts, they are still filming on the location. That means that they they must be uh, rotoscoping. They must be doing frame by frame overlay of the glow here, which is you know not earth-shaking or impossible but point is it's not something that you said all right computer guy go build this and we're going to cut to 
computer generated shot of thing you know they had to film it and and add the effect uh over it after the fact and it just it works and since we're talking about effects for a moment i'll just digress ever so slightly same thing here with old lace there are moments where you're it the old lace puppet looks slightly puppety you can see the heart behind it same thing here with these glowy effects yeah. it's not the most amazing effects you've ever seen they work and there's a heart and soul to them which which supersedes you know oh this isn't the hulkbuster suit or whatever it it, it it's all heart pete hashtag all heart well you say what you want about uh virginia gardner and julian mcmahon but they clearly glow on my television screen matt <laughs> and i'm sure in real life as well uh but jonah here the the attempt here to take out Carolina being there for her, everything that's going on now with him seizing control of the Church of Gaborum, uh, these these uh, bodyguards, he's more frequently enlisting both security on the dig site as well as on the church, getting deeper uh, claws into Frank really ratcheting up his game but some vulnerability at the end there i i love that it it didn't end on a on a darth vader i i've got you now note with absolute control there are definitely cracks in his facade it is shocking to me as a viewer who has who has carefully watched these episodes to just take a moment and look back and realize you know, eight episodes ago, he was not running this church. He was still mm -hmm. a, a, a shrunken shape in the bed. Um, I believe it was episode four or five when, when we first saw his face. Point being, it's incredibly fast that Jonah has has taken over here. And, and we as viewers kind of feel, obviously, uh, we don't trust Leslie, but it's like she's been kicked out of her own weirdo, creepy operation here. And you feel a bit sympathy there such is the villainy that he has brought. We move on, Matt, and let's talk about Leslie here admitting finally that she killed the Hernandezes and that she notified Jonah. Um, well, Jonah knew because of an alarm of, of the wizard servers that it was Amy, although she did warn Amy still complicit still in on it still withholding that information all these years and now the menorahs know I think in that situation the villainy is for me the fact that the fact that Leslie uh, kept the secret for so long I mean if you want to say well she was under duress and she did try and help and whatnot but you know, at a certain point, you have to step up and take responsibility for your actions and for your role. And, and, and though she didn't, you know, do the actual murder herself, she she contributed to it. And I feel like that that reminds us why we don't like Leslie as a character, why we distrust her, why she is a villain indeed. Yeah, certainly mistrustful and uh, to be not trusted. Uh, but I love the way we've never seen any of these parents in a hardcore black and white situation. There's always, they're very careful to always leave some redeeming value. 
and all throughout the season and here, Alex, in this episode, you know, wanting to to go back to the parents. They, they said something nice. They can't be terrible. And then the parents, his parents in particular, call Flores and get an Amber Alert issued. Uh, and, and they're all wanted in connection with the murder. Now, we understand through the dramatic irony that, hey, they're just trying to get a fix on them. And then that's going to be, no, they, they didn't do it. We, we checked them out. They, they didn't have the, the murder stuff on them. Um, but they don't know that. And how much the perspective that you're sitting in determines that idea of hero or villain. There is, I think, a little interesting mirroring of the teenage experience for the audience, which is to say, and this is not a criticism against the show in any way, but here we are at the end of this first season. Has our understanding of Leslie ultimately changed that greatly from the first initial take of, wow, mom's a B and she's just really, you know, whatever. Indeed, I think the way the characters were introduced in episode one, the, the way the, the adults were introduced, I think that that was authentic and by and large who they ended up being by the end of these 10 episodes. But it's with the nuance and with the context and with the feeling sympathetic for them and then losing some of that sympathy because of new actions, whatever it might be, we end up kind of with this, with almost, again, as the audience, end up with this kind of teenage haughtiness of, see, I was right all along. Leslie is bad news. And, and, and Tina really never did quite care enough and, and so on and so forth where it's like, see, I was right. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly that nature to it. Lastly, Matt, Frank seems to be going deeper and deeper here to the dark side. Again, he seems to have his reasoning for it. He, he will do anything for Carolina. But now he's in some kind of bunker with Jonah. And Jonah's going to make sure his future's real bright, which I don't think any of us actually believes. What's up with Frank? I think it is easiest to feel sympathy for Frank. And I know that we've had a discussion in the last couple episodes of, yeah, but he did things, but then, yeah, but he didn't carry the guilt because his mind was erased. I mean, at the end of the day, Pete, he's, he's ultimately over the course of these 13 years or indeed in the course of uh, his, his uh, parentage of Carolina I mean, he's been a pushover. He's been used time and time again, either as a, I think from Jonah's perspective, a, a temporary father. I think Jonah is is not just claiming, you know, kind of paternity, but also now it's time for him to to play the role of father with her. Um, and, and Frank, who has, again, he's done all these bad things, but you say, but he doesn't go day to day having lived the, effects of taking a life or or done these awful things i just feel more bad for this for this kind of wispy namby pamby guy i feel more bad than anything for him well let's move on to some theories matt jonah glows white carolina pink blue maybe a little purple in there is there anything to be made are these lightsaber colors <laughs> Pete, all I know is this, okay? When it comes to extraterrestrial creatures, possibly, who have come here to Earth to take over over however long Jonah has been here, okay, I don't see color. Blue-pink, 
glowiness, the white, pure light. It's all, Pete, they're all beautiful aliens to me. I want you to know that. Um, <laughs> to, to be a bit more specific, I doubt we're going to find out in a show and indeed in an MCU that I think slow pedals some of the some of the more uh, wild and crazy comic things you know as always with a comic book it's the same amount of time or roughly the same amount of time to draw a dinosaur than it is a race car than it is a alien squid creature so they kind of all cost the same um certainly in runaways okay we're getting probably an alien influence from jonah and from carolina um do I think we're going to get into the nuanced nature of, well, Jonah actually is a Rexulon and uh, because of Rexulon, really, you know, because of mitochondrial DNA transfer, uh, that means the Carolina is more of a Jubarian. Like they're going to be glowy. I thought he was a Jubarum and she was a Rexulon, but, but we'll have to see Pete. You're not deep diving on the comics enough. Uh, is Jonah linked to Molly's parentage as well? I'm going to say no. I mean, I think there's this very binary, you know, his powers are so similar to Carolina's. And I think that, I think that Molly's again, I don't want to overly nerd out here and overly hashtag it's all connected, but I kind of put her more in the, you know, mutation. I know we can't say mutant, yet until the disney fox deal closes but <laughs> that kind of it's an organic thing which has occurred to her whether it's because of the daredevil sewage accident in the eyes or whether it's uh because of terogenesis or whether it's because of some weird genetic code because you can't say mutant i kind of read that's where her powers uh, originate and not not under this grand papa jonah uh theory Carolina needed reviving and was recuperated using the mask that Jonah's used. Is she now trapped in the same cycle? Wow, Pete, what a great question. I think that as we look ahead to season two, which, uh, to be clear, a 13 episode second season, so more a coming. Pete, that means we'll have to keep Hulu even longer. Wait a minute. I see what they're doing. Um, you need to build these ticking time bombs in, particularly since they are on the run and theoretically could be on the run in the city for, you know, days, weeks, whatever it might be. I like that, that, you know, if all of a sudden, oh no, she's starting to wither, that quickly brings the story back to the parents and the kids and the conflict between the two. So I'm going to give a hearty thumbs up. There you go. Uh, the unknown sender texting Jonah mission accomplished who was that pete that i am uh, i i will say with no uh, with no judgment one way or the other i will say that that was 43rd president of the united states george w bush mission accomplished indeed wow not who i had in the pool uh wait frank... until you see who else is going to be joining the season two <laughs> cast list pete they <laughs> in addition to 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 president bush there's going to be many more people wow uh frank with jonah and the box here containing victor where were they I think that, uh, well, I don't have a clear answer to that. I think that it, it's so interesting 
to have these three men moving towards an alignment. I mean, Victor's still in there and Victor's still in uh, story time out. But you think of the hunger that Frank has to work his way up in the world, in the church, in respect, in, in as a man who has been replaced in, in bed and in fatherhood. Um, and Jonah offering all of that. But Jonah trying to hang on to life and Victor Victor potentially making that possible. I think it's a great, great potential uh, trio of, of dastardly men for this second season. How about uh, Jonah starting to get scaly here? Is this as a result of using his powers, being stretched too thin, or is just this the way it goes with him after a certain amount of time, he turns into a mummy? I think that, let me put it this way, the story would be slightly less well served if he was knowingly expending his powers, which was taking away the turbo boost of power boost he had gotten from the box. Um, and I think he's too knowledgeable of these processes, which we do not completely understand for him to say, oh, I had no idea that when I did a power boost, it would take power away from me. I much prefer the idea that he's kind of been scamming the parents the entire time. He's been scamming pride and that he, the, these, these, you know, statements of, this is the last one. I'm good, good to go now and I'm fully charged and you don't need to like kill any more teenagers anymore because now we finally reached the end point. I like that either he has been lying to them intentionally or he did not know that they were at the end point. And regardless, now if you want to keep Jonah around, the cycle of, of abuse and death and lying and conspiracy must continue. You always say you're never going to murder every, anyone, and then you do it again. It, it, it seems, you know, such a trope. Pete, when it comes to pride, okay, murder is like Pringles. You say you're going to stop at one. You say <laughs> you're going to stop at ten. At a certain point, Pete, you're like, you know what? Let's create another glowy egg thing, and let's just go two at a time. Why not? Why not? A whole can, a whole tube of murder. <laughs> Oh, what a delightfully dark show this is, which again, you know, it's built on this great, this great foundation coming from the comics, this idea of parents are the worst things that you can imagine. And, and it's so great to be viewing this through adult eyes, but nonetheless, it, it, it ignites in you this, the, you know, the feeling that we all had growing up. Um, sometimes we may still have now with, you know, even, even as grownups with our own parents, but just this idea, you know, ugh, aren't parents the worst? Well, here they really are. And 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 it's something we can all relate to, at least as a metaphor. Well, enough about what we thought of this episode. Let's hear what some of our listeners and the viewers had to say. Matt, we're going to begin with Fred in the Netherlands. What is the big thing with Darius and Jeffrey? Um, um, Darius is saying to his uh, to his pregnant girlfriend uh, Tamar uh, that he's already waiting for twenty years, and and now things will be clear. Um, by the way, the discussion between Darius and Tamar uh, was, I think, the funniest part um, during the episode. And she's saying something. I thought you were off the drugs, and I don't want to have a crack baby. 
One compliment to the makers is that when uh, we see the Hernandez tape, uh, so on the VCR tape in, in the library, that we see really see uh, Mr. Hernandez walk towards the camera to put it off, and, and that they really show that as well, uh, because that's how it, it was done in those days. Nice attention for detail. So that was all so far. Greetings, all the best, Fred. Well, Fred, I love the point you bring up about uh, Jeffrey and Darius. And I think Darius is really important going forward. Who would have figured when we first met this character at the construction site, shaken down Jeffrey, there would be a season long arc. He's now bankrolled Alex and you have to imagine we will see him back in some kind of support role. This after the kids grouped up for the first time and, and used their powers on him. It's a really interesting way to bring him back. And, you know, yeah, the enemy of the enemy, um, my enemy is my friend is what Alex reasons. Um, but it's just a really interesting way to keep him with the show and to, to have somebody supporting the runaways and it's a way to keep a, a personal pressure on uh, on the family because there is that lengthy connection uh from the past so it's you know it's your childhood friend it's your childhood coming back it's sins of the past all of that it's a really um it, it it's a nuanced use of the character love the bit about the vcr you could very easily see them taking the short route and not committing that attention to detail and that they did it. They were really trying to sell it. Kudos just to go into the technology to begin with as a reference and, and then to make it real. So uh, great points, Fred. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. As always, Fred, again, Pete, it's this warm and fuzzy feeling knowing that uh, halfway around the world, there's Fred and there's other listeners enjoying our discussion here on runaways showing the truly, uh, you know, this is a show made in uh, made in California, and you know, if you watch on Hulu with ads, it's I've seen the California's great ad a zillion times. But yeah, here we right. are. <laughs> here we are connected with this international property where you know not every show is the, is the case. Agents of Shield has start to yet to air uh, in certainly in the UK and in the rest of Europe for this season. Here on these digital platforms, it's you know within a day or two, everybody has it. Seen quite a bit of correspondence from Simone Van Galen as well via our Facebook page. But I'm just going to read you uh, one of the notes, Matt. We had been going back and forth about some of the comic references. And uh, in particular, she noted what came up in the very first moments of this show in the pilot where we noted – uh, back in our first podcast, the journey to the center of the earth, Jules Verne cover in particular. Um, and there's some comic connections. Uh, but she said, it's funny, by the way, how I look at like loads of other podcasts and you guys were the only two who mentioned it as well, who saw it while no one else did, not even diehard comic book fans or fans overall. None noticed, and I guess it's just us who know that they are raising our Gavorum from that hole in the ground. Well, we do pride ourselves on watching with a careful eye. You know, I think we've been upfront that uh, there's there's 
long since been a point that we've surpassed what what either you or I or both have read in the comics. Um, but at the end of the day, it's certainly the, the comic influence is important and it's critical. But with us looking at what is on screen, I uh, I like to think that more often than not, Pete, we are uh, we're headed down the right path. Well, Matt, that does it for us for season one. We will, of course, bring you a wrap up of the entire season in the very near future. Uh, But we have that renewal in pocket here, and it's only a matter of time until they start breaking those stories. They start setting up uh, production. Have to imagine towards the end of this year beginning of next year 2019 as far as a likely premiere date for season two indeed pete and we of course love getting feedback from people particularly now that we're gonna we're gonna enter the uh the fallow times in which you know new stories will be fought up and scripted and whatnot pete how can people be in touch with you you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-9748. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, Followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast any way you want. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Email FantasticGeek at gmail.com. Check out our posts on Twitter and Instagram where we are. Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more! Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH all one word. Like it today. Matt is the Twitter guy. I'm the Facebook guy. We both want to hear from you. Indeed, Pete. Well, with that, we, of course, must note that the adventure continues on our pop culture podcast feed. We got Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. continuing. We have Star Trek Discovery continuing. We're going to be doing two shows, Pete. What are we going to do with our spare time? Waiting for Um, Jessica Jones in March. (laughs) Waiting for Jessica Jones in March, indeed. As you mentioned, if you're listening only on the Runaways Rundown feed, we have one more episode to go until uh, until we go into pause mode and update as news warrants. I look forward to wrapping up this season in the near future. With that, Pete, I will now say, whatever, Dad, and give you the final word. Yep, I'm walking away. Walking away and pretending I did not bring a monster into my church. Just shove me in the car.